Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to have you along as we talk about the Monroes today. There's a lot of interesting things to discuss about them. And before I do that, and before I jump into talking about my sponsor, I want to tell you a couple things that are coming up that I'm really excited about. One is that by the time you're hearing this, I will have published a YouTube video about a little project that I did showing the descendants of Summerled in a kind of like a pedigree chart, which you can find really, really easy if you just do a Google image search for Summerled descendants or pedigree or something like that. Real easy. However, this is a little bit different. Um, it's in the, the goal with this as opposed to the other ones. The other ones are individual based. The one that I just created using some other sources and sometimes I've even used some, some of those other super easy Google image search, but I tried to connect it with, you know, some solid sources, not just whoever. But, um, I'm wanting to show the clans, how all the clans descended from Summerled are connected together. Where do they, you know, the McDougals are descended from Summerled. Well, so are also the McKeans of Ardnamurkin and the McAllisters of Loop and the McDonalds of Dunyveg and the Glens. And so you have all these kindreds descended from Summerled and how do they all tie in together? Uh, which ones are the newest? Which ones are the latest? I didn't, I didn't include every single branch of a branch of a branch in there. The major kindreds that descend from Summerled, the McDougals, the McRorys, and then the McDonalds. The McDonalds take, take up the lion's share, as you could imagine, and but they have a lot of main branches. So I stuck with the main branches of the McDonalds, but I did this in for a YouTube video so you could see me scroll down through this pedigree chart and talk about it as I go. And then on top of that, I'm offering a PDF of the very thing that's that I'm using in the YouTube video. I'm using I'm offering that PDF graphic to anybody who wants to download it. So you can go to scottish-clans.com forward slash summerled. And if you want access to a bunch of other things that I have created and put out there online for free resources for people to use, you can go to scottish-clans.com forward slash resources, and you can find links to other PDFs that you can get for free on there as well. And there's more coming too. There's tons of things. And really what I'm doing here is I'm reaching back and I'm taking work that I've done back when this was not a podcast. It was nothing I was putting out there for content for the people. It was just my own curiosity. I, I guess my point here is if I'm not d publishing all this stuff and adding online courses and free PDFs and episodes and YouTube videos, and I'm if I'm not doing all that and sharing it with people, I'm doing it on my own for just on my own time anyway, just as a hobby. So I figured why not take some of this effort that I put in and share it with people. So those, those future resources to come are really just me cleaning things up a little bit and putting out there things that I've already done in the past because I'm curious about this stuff. I'm curious to see if you geographically lay out all the Campbell strongholds, what patterns do you see? What do you notice about Campbell power and territory? Um, same with any, a lot of the other clans that I've done in the same similar fashion. Um, yeah, so just just let you know some of the things I've been working on. And not to exclude, of course, my online course. I've wrapped up recording all the video content for that. Now it's just editing, editing, and including just formatting and getting a, uh, an internet host for the course. 
and I'm, I'm almost ready to put that out there for you. So that's coming in the fairly near future. And I just wanted to share that a couple of things I'm excited about with you guys. So when it comes to sponsors, though, if you want to put anything on your body to represent your pride and your Scottish heritage, you need to go to usakilts.com. USAKilts.com for to buy a kilt. Yes, that's kind of what the company's focused around, but they have a ton of other things there that you can get to express your pride and your heritage. So go to USAKilts.com. Customer service is awesome. Free shipping in the U.S. I think you'll have as good an ex- good an experience with them as I did. Um, their, their YouTube channel is USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. So try that out too. Tons of good content on there with Rocky, Eric, and their team. All right, so let's talk about the Monroes, shall we? This is a, I found the more into the Monroes I got, the more interesting I thought they were. I started off talking about them because I think they, they are one of those, I mentioned a long time ago, I think there's a handful of clans that are really cool clans, but they're often overlooked. They don't get a lot of attention. And I think the Monroes are one of those. So let's talk about them. The first thing I want to talk about is their origins, where they come from, and why that's interesting to me. Now, the Monroes are a Gallic clan. As opposed to, I mean, just so you understand what I mean by that, especially if you're new to this. Well, the McLeods were Gallic. They're Gallic-speaking. But Laod, their person they took the name from, he was of Scandinavian background. Okay, So the McLeods, you could say, in origin, their lineage... They're, they go back to Scandinavian. I, I got it. These Scandinavians intermingled and intermarried and had kids with native gales and adopted Gallic culture and customs. So, but I think you know what I mean there. So the McLeods, you could call them a Scandinavian clan. The Monroes, background, their roots, their origin story is in the gales. However, Unlike some other clans around them, they are not descended from the Gales of Dalriada necessarily, where you have this these clans that come out of these Gallic-speaking kindreds that have been there probably since at least the 500s, maybe earlier. The Monroes claim descent. Now, we're going to talk about the claims they make versus what the DNA evidence is. It's kind of interesting. Their claim is that they're descended from a an, an Okean prince named Donal, and the Okeans were a northern Irish clan, so they're running in the, in the same neighborhood as the O'Neills, the O'Donnells, the McQuillans, the McLaughlins of Northern Ireland, not to be confused with the McLaughlins of Scotland. And I'll bring them up here in a second, too. Anyway, that's the neighborhood the Okeans were running around, and they had this uh, one of their upper level of the upper, upper tier of their leadership of the clan. From the Okean, this Donald character, he moves north. The traditional narrative is that he came in the 1000s during the reign of Malcolm II, and he was given land up. What would what is uh, north of Inverness? And they were granted some territory right along the Cromarty Firth, and they called that strip of land on there Farron Donald, and that's who they claim their descent from. Now, if we're going to use just regular history and records and things like that, probably not the 10 hundreds. That's, that's probably bumped back a couple hundred years. It was probably more like the mid-1200s. But that doesn't drastically change the narrative. What might change the narrative, though, 
is the DNA. Now, the DNA information I got from clanmonroeassociation.org.au. In other words, they're Australian branch of the clan, and they're that part of the uh, Monroe Association. And on that website is published, and I will include a link in the show notes for this, but it's published a DNA study, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. A, because I'm, you don't want to hear me just read the whole thing. And second, B, is that you, um, I'm not really qualified to get on my own without reading other people's stuff, just go way deep into DNA stuff. But here's what it said, and this is why I think is interesting. The, the DNA or the, the people taken from lineages that are very substantially connected to the chiefs, the Monroes, show DNA that goes back not, it does go back to Northern Ireland. So in that, they're kind of like the McLaughlins and McEwans of Otter who claim descent from Anrahan O'Neill, who is an O'Neill prince and settled up in Scotland, obtained lands, and his descendants spawned many clans you know, like those ones I just mentioned, and more. The, the McNeils would be included in that. And so in this claim to come from Northern Ireland similar to those other clans, even more similar to the Buchanans who are descended from an Ocaean, they claim, from Ancelan Ocaean. But the DNA says they don't, they, yeah, they do come from Ireland, but they don't come from Northern Ireland. They come from Southwest Ireland and Cork. In fact, the Irish clan that has the most similar DNA to the Monroes is the O'Driscolls. And so... How, so there's several different ways we could approach this. We could say, well, they're just the whole origin story is just made up, and like this, none of it's true. Or we could find ways that um, that it could both could be true. So how could this work? One of the things I looked at is where were the O'Driscolls from? Is it possible that the O'Driscolls were actually another Northern Irish clan and found their way south, and that's why the Monroes have DNA that looks similar to people in Southwest Ireland? But it really all came from the north, and the origin legends are true. Well, I tried looking into that, and the O'Driscolls have been in southwest Ireland, in the County Cork area, for a really, really long time. So I scratched that theory off the list. Yeah, they, the uh, Irish clans are interesting when we're comparing them to Scottish clans in that their, their recorded origins usually go back way, for, way farther in Ireland than the Scottish ones do. Just better kept records, I guess. Anyway, so... Nope, looks like Monroe's have no kidding Southwest Ireland looking DNA. And I believe we're looking at the, the study was talking about specifically Y DNA that's passed down from father to son. Okay, well, here's another theory that I have. Uh, is it possible that you had a person from Southwest Ireland who ended up moving up north, because people moved around back then. They weren't completely static, locked down in the land of their forefathers for time and eternity, and they're just always going to be there, and they always, nothing ever changes. No, their people moved around. They had economic opportunities, or sometimes it got a little hostile where they're from. Sometimes they were kicked out of the land where they're from. Whatever the reason, is it possible that somebody from Southwest Ireland landed in Ocaean territory, did well for themselves. Not very many generations later, they push north into Scotland. And so now you have a person who, no kidding, came through. So the legends were accurate. They came from the Ocaean clan and territory. But they're carrying that Southwest Irish DNA. I don't know. That's that's an idea. If you got a, a better theory, go ahead and, and let me know. Um, I might also ask one thing that does confirm 
that this okay in Northern Ireland connection is that the the Monroe and without going into a whole spiel on Gaelic, but indicates somebody from the vicinity of the River Row, which there is right there in Okayan territory. It empties into Loch Foyle, which is interesting because the the headquarters, the main base of the Monroe clan was Castle Fallis. So, which some I, in one of the sources I read said, hey, is it possible that Fallis could be a corruption of Foyle? Maybe. Anyway, there's so there's it wasn't one, but it was two possible connections to Okayan territory. So maybe both are true. They do actually have Southwest Irish DNA, but they eventually came from um, Ireland to Scotland via Northern Ireland. I mean, maybe in the same way that all these people in in the U- U.S. who are called Scots Irish, but they didn't come. Scots-Irish is not a blend of Irish and Scottish. It's Scots, most, most, and I guess in some cases, we're not making any hard rules, but Scots who had settled in Northern Ireland and had mostly intermarried with themselves, but then they'd came, come from Ireland to the U.S. And my understanding is this term comes about because the people who are already there settled, like, oh, these guys come from Ireland, they're Irish. Well, being aware of their Protestant Scottish background said, no, 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 we're not to be confused with the native Gaelic Catholic Irish. They said, no, 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 we're Scots. And so you had this blending of the terms, not the DNA necessarily. And so they come to the U.S. via, they're Scots who come to the U.S. via Northern Ireland. Maybe there's something similar there going on with the Monroes. I don't know. There's, that's just what I learned. Be interested to hear other theories. If you have them, let me know in the, in the comments or reach out to me. Um, as I'm trying to make this condensed and tight and concise, let me just um, choose this as the midpoint to add a little word for my sponsor, USA Kilts. Guys, I've had such a good experience with them. I got two kilts from them, both very good quality. Obviously, one's better than the other because it was way more expensive than the other one. I got one. I got the five-yard wool kilt for better, nicer occasions, and I got a casual kilt for bumping around out in when I go on hikes, which I had tons of opportunity this last summer. I wore the heck out of that kilt, and it's still in really good shape. And me and my trusty Dutch Shepherd Raptor, we went all over the desert out west of where I live, and in the hills around, and the mountains to the east, and we were all over the place, and I wore that kilt, and it was really cool. I prefer a kilt as a hiking garment. I believe it is a superior hiking garment. And uh, I'm so glad that I was able to get that from USA Kilts. So I believe that you will have a good experience with them too. Customer service has been awesome. Free shipping in the U.S. to try them out. You know what else they've got going for them is the sweet YouTube channel. USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. Go on there. They've got tons of good content, especially especially if you have questions about kilts because that's their passion. It's not just what they're doing to feed their families. They're actually passionate about the subject. They've got a lot of cool content on there. Go check them out. All right. A couple other things. Uh, This one got me off on a really big rabbit trail, rabbit hole, trail, rabbit hole, Alice in Wonderland, down the rabbit hole. Um, I got way off on a tangent, but I learned a lot of stuff as I was doing that. And this is the, has to do with the Monroe's interaction in the, the conflicts of the 1600s. So both in Scotland and on the continent. On the continent, you have the 30 Years' War. And the Monroes were one of the most prominent clans. There's a large list that you can find of Scots who did really well for themselves individually as mercenaries fighting on the continent in these, in these continental European conflicts. 
but as a kindred, as a clan, the Monroes and the Mackays are prominent in going over there. I'm not saying that they're the only people who went down and fought as a clan. I think there's quite a lot of Forbes who went there too. I didn't get a chance to research every clan that was involved as a clan in the 30 years war, but the Monroes were right there at the top of the list. They're very involved. In fact, they served with distinction on the side of Sweden, who are on the Protestant side, which indicates where they stood religiously, at least at the time of the 30 years war. Um, now, which was happening immediately before and maybe some overlap. I didn't go into a lot of detail studying about when was the exact end of the Thirty Years' War and when were these conflicts starting. I do know on the Scottish side, the Wars of the Three Kingdoms, the Scottish Civil War, that whole context starts off with the Bishops' Wars and I believe it was 1638. And as these conflicts within Britain progress, you have Scots coming home off of the com- continent to provide military leadership for whatever side they, side they chose when they came back. So the Monroes are active on that side too. So this got me, so rather than a ton of things to share with you about the Monroes during the Scottish Civil War, I'll share with you some of the questions that I, that I have out of this. And maybe that'll be a good point if you're interested in studying further on this. And maybe it might provide interesting content for a future episode. One was, okay, so the Monroes by this point, and I don't know, I could had a hard time finding exactly when they converted, but probably there's a Monroe listening to this who knows exactly when that is. Um, I don't know when they converted to Protestantism, but they did. But did they choose the side they chose because of their religion? Because as I studied more into this, I found out that there's other things going on and reasons why people pick different sides other than religion. For instance, some people chose the side of Charles I. You know, like a lot of this is happening because as the king of this, you know, Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, he's, as the king, he's like, well, this is how it's going to be with religion. And take a, he's taking a, starting to take a pretty strong hand, writes a new prayer book. People, that got a lot of people angry. But the Stuarts, as a, as a lineage, had a tendency to favor the concept of absolutism and the divine right of kings. Like, I can do whatever I want because I'm the king. And this is how it's going to be. Why? Because I'm the king. Now, there were some people who sided with Charles I, not because of they were in favor of his religious stance, but because they agreed he's the king. And who are we to, to fight back against that? Because they also believed in divine right of kings. There were other people who sided against him, not because they were different religiously, but because they thought this is a drastic overreach of monarchical power. And and so this is a lot of things that I would like to unpack as I study this out further, but I didn't want to wait until I had a full grasp on this to publish an episode because I don't know how long that's going to take me because I've got all these questions. So I'm just, I just thought, well, we'll just record a podcast episode and we'll just share the questions with the audience. So hopefully it's valuable to you to hear some of these thought processes. Um, another thing that I have that might be a, uh, something I want to look into about why the Monroes chose which side they chose in these conflicts, not only the Scottish Civil Wars, but um, the later Jacobite rebellions, is the, the friends that they have. If you look back into the 1500s, they're making bonds of friendship with other clans who end up on the same side of this. And I don't know was the, the friendship 
the motivating factor for their decision on which side? Was it the religion that drove the interest in these people being friends and allies? Was it um, other viewpoints that they were similar on? Okay, so we see this the same way as these other clans so we're going to establish. But keep in mind, some of these things are being, these, these bonds of friendship are being entered into maybe before the religion thing was that big of a deal. So the first one that I found was in on 30th April, 1527, you find a bond of friendship signed with a certain group of people, chiefs of clans. Now, before I tell you who that is, a bond of friendship is like a bond of man rent. So this is a, a legal document that you that chiefs would enter into with each other. A man a bond of man rent. Yeah, they're both getting something out of it. They're both making oaths toward the other person and making it legal through a document, but the relationship is unequal. So in a bond of man rent, one person's superior, one person's inferior, but the superior one has certain obligations as we get into the personal lordship idea, and they're going to be good leaders and keep these people's interests in mind and protect them. And for that leadership and protection, the, the inferior party in this bond pr uh, pledges loyalty. And so they're both getting something out. This is often a way that a, a smaller clan could, who, who is vulnerable to aggressive bigger clans in their area, they could sign a bond of manorant with another more powerful that they might not have any kinship to at all. And it's interesting because in these bonds, they use kinship terms. So this might be something that Alison Cathcart would refer to as fictive kinship. And so you have these, these bonds entered into. But with a bond of friendship, they're coming into it as equals. So who did the Monroe chiefs entered in 1527 entered in bonds of friendship with? You have John Campbell of Cotter, who was very in the vicinity. This, these, most of these clans are in this Inverness Shire, Inverness vicinity of this part of Scotland. John Campbell of Cotter, Hector McIntosh, captain of Clan Hatton, Hugh Rose of Kilrock, and Donald MacDonald of Slate. So write those names down and go look at where each of those people landed on which side during the Scottish Civil War and the Jacobite rebellions. Go check that out. See what connections you notice there. There's another Charter in 1529, so just two years later, between Robert Monroe, 14th Baron of Fowlis, and Lord Fraser of Lovett. So we're seeing this relationship strengthen and, and persist. And this, bond, this charter was to assist and defend each other. And in 1544, so several years later, you have a bond of kindness and alliance between Robert Monroe and Ross of Balnagown. So I just, in between 1527 and 1544, there's several clans there that the Monroes made formal alliances with. And now go and see which side they all jumped on during these future conflicts. All right. Now, the last thing that I, as I wrap this up that I want to say that I think is interesting when it comes to learning about the Monroes, and another source I want to throw out here that I've been using is the history of the Monroes of Fowlis with genealogies of the principal families of the name to which are added those of Lexington and New England. And so that was, a, that was a source published in 1898, not a contemporary source, but I thought I'd just tell you that while I'm going along here. So the last thing that I think is interesting about the Monroes is that their territory belies their strength. And here's what I mean this. I'm going back to the whole clan map 
idea. Yes, there's a lot of productive good things that you can get out of one of these clan maps that shows the clan territories. And I've got one as I'm, I'm looking at one on my wall as I'm speaking right now. However, there are also assumptions that you can pull away from that that are not true. So you have to be careful on what a clan map's good for and what they're not good for. Um, the territory that the chief of the Monroes had control over. I'm going to try to be careful the way I say this. It doesn't look very big when you because it's sitting right next to and bordering the Mackenzie Territory, which is vast. And this map that I'm looking at is good for the second half of the 1500s, okay? So vast territory. In fact, if we jump forward 100 years, Mackenzie Territory is even bitter, bigger. Whereas the Monroe Territory, this one of the unique features about it is it stays static for a really long time. And so if I'm just looking at this map, I'm going, wow, the Mackenzie's... They were way more powerful than the Monroes, and maybe they were, but um, I know that the Monroes don't seem to be afraid of the Mackenzies at all. We have this, I've found this one battle, more like a skirmish, it's called Logibride, and you have the Monroes and the Mackenzies. It started off as just kind of a very small, like I said, a skirmish, low number number of uh, casualties. Very small deal. It kind of was a, a local event, and it blew out of proportion. People got killed. But both clans like rushed back, and they were ready to go out on the field of battle, and it, um, government intervened, and there was no gigantic bloodbath that ensued. But the Monroes were just ready to go toe-to-toe with the Mackenzies. If I'm looking at this map, the Mackenzie territory is gigantic. and I, I just don't think that the size of the territory on that map is a for sure indicator about how many men they can get in the battle in a very quick notice. And maybe that's the key. Once the, if the Mackenzie's had time to send a rider over to the West Coast to Kintail and some of these other places they have territory, and they could round up all of their guys that they could get, maybe they would have put a way larger force on the battlefield than the Monroes. But on this quick notice thing, the Monroes and the Mackenzies are ready to throw down, and it didn't look like the Monroes were too, like they looked like they're pretty ready to jump in. Just the tone that I was getting from reading through these different sources that you could find on the Battle or Skirmish of Logie Bride. Um, but th- that's another thing about their territory, the Monroes, is that it was so static. It just stayed the same. They didn't, they weren't aggressively aggressively expanding and taking in land of their neighbors around them. They did have some very powerful neighbors around them. Maybe that's one reason. But also, neither did they give ground. So they maintained that territory for a very long period of time. So something that's interesting about the Monroes. Hope that was interesting for you. Um, If you want uh, access to a a free copy of a PDF document of General Wade's 1724 report on the Highlands, that's another one of those PDF resources that you can have. So if you go to scottish-clans.com forward slash Wade, you can get a copy, a PDF copy of, it's, it's interesting, he goes in 1724, so in between two of the most major Jacobite rebellions, the 1715 and the 1745, Right in between there, he gives a report on how, like, the military strength of these various Highland clans. And the Monroes is in that, but they're paired up with the Rosses. It says between the two of them, they can bring 700 men on a battlefield, which is less than the number he had for the Mackenzies. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but I don't know how much of that's the Monroes and how much of it's Rosses. Either way, if you want to check that out, you can go once again to scottish-clans.com forward slash wade as in General Wade, 
download that PDF, study it, mark it up, add notes. That's why I thought it'd be valuable to have it in a PDF. Anyway, that's what I've got for you today. So uh, if you want more information, you can go to scottish-clans.com and that you can find platforms for several different things that I've got going on right there. Uh, Links to the podcast, links to the resources, links to the YouTube channel, whatever you want to get, scottish-clans.com. If you want to reach out to me, ask questions, make comments, Um, And I've had a few of you do that. Ethan Hunt, I'm talking about you. I know I saw your message and I I haven't got back to you yet, but I want you to know that uh, that I saw it and I really, really, really appreciate your comments, the reaching out. Ethan always has really interesting things to say. Um, he's, he's passionate about this, got some awesome stuff going on. Go over to our Facebook group, Scottish Clans. Lots of cool conversations going on over there. Really intelligent people with some really good content if you want to learn more. So go over there. It's it's way more academic than a lot of other Facebook groups are where they're just, just pictures of thistles and bagpipe tunes, which is cool, which is cool. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying we're trying to keep it like pretty legit over there with like not throwing a bunch of... my my. I got to give a shout out to my, my admin guys on that one because they, they keep it pretty tight. Anyway, go over there, check it out, check out the conversation. If you want to reach out to me personally, they'll go to... You can send me an email at the Scottish Clans at gmail.com, thescottishclans at gmail.com. And and, and like I said, the online course is going to be soon. And check out YouTube. I'll check. I'll leave a note in the notes for this. I'll need. A, uh, I'll leave a link. You can go and check out that video. And until next time, Marshan Leib and Drastel.